millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello there. Welcome along to the latest Full Throttle Podcast from Eurosport. This is Monday, the 7th of June, 2021. And we've got not one, but two World Superbike riders on the show this week. Greg Haynes with you. And as I say, two World Superbike riders this week. Alex Lowe's discussing the start of his season with Kawasaki and Eugene Laverty, who's had a surprisingly good start to the year with the RC Squadra Corsa customer team BMW. And we will also have the first instalment and a new feature for the Full Throttle podcast, Magic Moments. And this week, it'll be a Murray Walker memory from a former colleague of his and great friend, Barry Nutley. But we kick things off, first of all, ahead of Mizano World Superbikes this weekend with Kawasaki's Alex Lowe's following the opening two rounds of the season at Aragon and Estoril. And a word or two on that controversial situation we saw in Superpole last time out. So Alex, I'd say congratulations first because it's been a great start to the season, hasn't it? Really strong qualifying. We'll talk in a second about what happened at Estoril, but three podiums from three at Aragon and it could well have been more at Estoril. How are you feeling with the season so far? Yeah, really happy with the season. Um, Aragon was, was a great weekend, even though we had some mixed weather, I was still able to be fast in, in all the conditions, which is great. And Estoril was a track that was really poor at last year. And, and this year, through the, quali- uh, through the practice and qualifying sessions, I was quite fast. Obviously, we had the penalty in the qualifying which put me on the fourth row and it made the races a little bit more difficult. But Natural speed was good, and uh, yeah, it's been a nice, nice strong start uh, to the year, which is what I was hoping for after a good winter's testing on the on the Kawasaki. Let's talk about Estoril first, actually, because that's the hot topic still, isn't it? Really, lots of penalties given out for jump starts, but let's go to qualifying. Just talk us through what happened there from your point of view. Yeah, um, obviously we have the yellow flag in uh, MotoGP. The same as World Superbike is, if you're on a, a fast lap and there's a yellow flag, your lap's cancelled. Um, which is is okay and understandable in the practice sessions. Obviously, if there's somebody crashing the gravel and the marshals are, are you know, retrieving the bike or they're not out of the way, then it's, it's completely normal and they have to respect the flag and you slow down a little bit. What the what, what makes it a little bit tricky in World Superbikes is that we have a, a qualifying tyre, which genuinely you can only do one lap. After the second lap, you never improve on the second lap. There's a couple of tracks where 
they're not that abrasive and maybe you can do an okay second lap but for example in Estoril there's no chance it's at the end of the first lap you're already struggling with the grip so um, I came into turn one and there was a Rabat was he was in the gravel but he was just sort of rejoining the track but a long way from the from the circuit there's no marshals in the gravel but there was still a yellow flag so as the rules go we uh, we lost the lap which was a shame because at that point you've got there's nothing you can do you've got to commit to your lap there was no danger on the side of the track. You're not putting anybody in a dangerous position. And it was a little bit unfair, really, to to go from what was a good qualifying in third place, which I was really happy with, to, to then being pushed back to the fourth row. And with a, the tight first few corners at Estoril, it makes it quite hard to really get a good start and, and make up a lot of ground. You need a little bit of good luck and good track position. So, yeah, that was a shame because the weekend before that was really strong. Yeah, and it's as we record this, the general thinking is they're going to either give you guys two qualifying tyres to try and make up for what happened in a way, or scrap qualifying tyres altogether. What would you do? Um, for me, I've just got going well on the Kawasaki on qualifying tyres. It's something we, we I didn't do that well last year. You have to ride the bike a little bit different. But I think for me, if it's a 15-minute session and you have to use the race tyre, at least then you've got the option. You're more like... Cause the way I look at it is the, the rule is there to to protect the marshals, to protect the, the, the people that have crashed and to protect the riders that are on the track. So that, that's the first priority. But if you're on a qualifying tyre, it doesn't actually, this it doesn't help because people aren't slowing down because they know they've only got one lap. The actual, the rule doesn't work if you look at it like that. But if you've got a race tyre and you've got the opportunity to do the next lap or the lap after, you can slow down, know that the lap's going to be cancelled anyway, look after the tyre a little bit and go again on the next lap. So I think that it, it, it allows, you, you've got no excuse then not to slow down, which is actually the reason why the rule has been, has been brought in in the last couple of years and this year in World Supervised is to protect everybody. So I think if you just go on race tyres, there's no excuse for the riders not to slow down when they see an incident. On the qualifying tyre, even if it's one or two laps, you might have a yellow flag on both laps, the guys are going to be more inclined to keep pushing. So from, from the, the reason why they've installed the rule, I think, just don't use a qualifying tie. I think the same guys are a bit different and the results will be the same. So for me, that would be the more logical and, and, and best way to truly represent the rule. Yeah, it just seems like the only problem here from that point of view is that Pirelli's also a championship sponsor, isn't it? So there's a commercial interest and they like setting that records to be able to sell their products. It feels as though they're not going to scrap the qualifying tyres, doesn't it? Yeah, that's, that's a different story. I, I don't agree with the Pirelli qualifying tyre lap times in cool conditions and trying to compare to MotoGP because for me that is certainly a battle that World Superbike's never going to win and I just think it's completely them stories are a complete waste of time if you ask me so for me I think it'd be better to keep it separate the amount of more grip you get from a Pirelli qualifying tyre especially when it's cool you're not doing them times in a race so it's, it's not a true reflection yeah and it doesn't need World Superbikes doesn't need to be quicker than MotoGP anyway does it at the end of the day no, because we're not. We don't need to be. And the, the, it, it sort of frustrates me as a as a rider sometimes, and especially I know Jonathan in the winter they like to push that. And but yeah, if he, if Jonathan wants to be faster than MotoGP, he should have gone to MotoGP. There's a perfectly place in the in the in the bike world for a production world championship series, which has always been great. And there's a prototype world championship series that's doing great. So keep it separate. Everybody's happy. There's no need to. To keep trying to draw the comparisons because, like I said, it's well, Superbike's not going to win that argument. We know the difference in the, the sport between the two championships. So, I just think it's uh, there's not much to be gained from it other than Pirelli, you know, announcing the lap time, which 
from a fan point of view, when the guys are on the edge of the track and the racing's close in the race, that, that's what that's what we want. That's what riders want. That's what the fans want next to the track. You go and ask a second slow or you do one lap, a second faster on a qualifying tyre, from the edge of the track, I don't believe as a fan, you can really see a massive difference. Obviously, you can see on the lap time at the end of the lap, but you, it's not bringing loads more to the fan on the edge of the track, which is the most important thing. Yeah, I agree, actually. I think even if you said the lap times are going to be 10 seconds slower, but the racing is going to be amazing every single time, you'd go with that, wouldn't you? It doesn't really matter what the lap times are. 100%. Yeah, yeah there's a rider and a fan. So I think that's what we just need to bear in mind in all this, which is obviously the most important thing. And what about Kawasaki and Jonathan? How are you getting on now? What's it like to be teammates with a six-time world champion and a, and a record holder? It always feels from the outside that the team must go the way of the top guy who's won all these titles. Does it actually feel like that inside the team or not? Not really. Johnny, Johnny's Johnny. He does a great... He, him and his team, they do a great job in uh, in managing all the situations. He obviously rides the bike great. That's the first thing, which helps. But his team, they do a good job in managing the situations and putting themselves in a good position for the races on Sunday. And you can't argue with you can't argue with that. I think in Estoril, personally, Pop Rack and, and Scott were at a lot better pace than Johnny. But we come away from the weekend where Johnny's won two races and scored more points than them. So it's just uh, it's just what he does really well and you have to give him respect for that. But from my feeling in Kawasaki it's good. Another year's worth of experience on the bike. Last year was a strange year as everybody knows we didn't get the the, all the testing, and we didn't get the, the proper all the tracks on the calendar to really understand the bike in different conditions. And I feel a lot more prepared from that side of it. Working with the team, working with the guys, and the relationships always take a little bit of time when you know you're working with with more of a um, when you're working with new people and foreign people. You need to understand exactly how they work. So yeah, I'm a lot more prepared this year, and, and it's showing in my riding, which is uh, which is good. And do you feel a lot more comfortable this year, Alex? Because as you said, you had all those hot temperatures last year and, you know, you didn't have a chance to do any testing. It was difficult, wasn't it? But Aragon this weekend, uh, last, well, sorry, the first weekend, you felt so comfortable, it looked, from the outside, so under control. Yeah, in this winter, I've done a lot of work. I was able to have a normal winter because it was a longer winter for World Superbike with the, the change in the calendar compared to previous years. We got to do plenty of testing, lots of race runs. And I just felt like I've, I, I know what to expect from the bike now on the bike, I know where the limit is and I'm able to manage it a bit more which in the race weekend this is the most thing because then you can adapt to the situation because that's all all the race weekend is now because we have Friday two 45 minute sessions or whatever they are on the Friday and then you're racing Saturday so all you need to be able to do is the quicker, the quicker you can adapt and the quicker you can adapt to the temperature or the conditions or the bike on the track between the rider and the team the better results you're going to get and that's why it's so important for me to, to have that get that knowledge and have that comfort with the bike, which I'm, I now feel like I've got. It's part of that as well, doing what it seems like Jonathan and Pera Reba have always done so well, which is just at some point settling for a setup you're comfortable with. It might not be perfect, but we see a lot of people coming in, making changes, going back out again. There's not enough time to do that anymore, is there? No, that's something I've always done anyway, like stay out and try to work on myself and do a lot of laps. If you see in the press, I'll, I'll always be one of the guys that's doing the work on tyres and doing the long runs and, I think that as soon as you start doing short runs and looking for something from the bike, you can end up going in a vicious circle where you never find something that's any better than what you would have been on if you just learned to ride. You know where your, your limits are, whether it's whether it's on the front or the brake. And if you learn to ride around them, I always feel like you're going to drag a better result out. So, yeah, that, like I said, that is something that, that Johnny and his guys do really well. 
And is the bike feeling quite a lot different, Alex, this year? We know you've got a different fairing, quite a different riding position. And also, it, I get the impression that your bike this year is so much better in the turbulent, dirty air following other bikes with that new fairing. Is that fair to say? Yeah, you know what? I don't feel a massive difference with the fairing when I'm following the other bikes, really, but it's held the position a little bit better on the front in the faster corners with a little more downforce. The bike doesn't feel massively different because in, in the end, it's not massively different, to be honest. There's a few setup changes that I've had some new parts over the winter, a bit more personal for my style. We're, we're a little bit different to Johnny, but that's just getting myself comfortable on, on, on the Kawasaki. In terms of the new bike and the, the modifications for 2021, wasn't loads of different things, but the few small changes we had have just been, uh, yeah, just been in the right direction for me. So that's obviously always nice when, when that happens. You don't need a massive change if the small steps are in the right direction. And Estoril, when you finished 19th in that first race after the crash, I got the impression, was that just a bit of frustration maybe creeping in after what happened with the penalty? No, obviously, yeah, I, I, my target in that race was to just have a good, a good ride. I knew I had a decent pace. And uh, yeah, I was I was trying to come through. I sort of I was it was only sort of eight laps into the race. The front group was getting away, but my pace was similar at that point. And I was trying to just push to catch on the back of Aldi. And at that track with the the long left corner, the slipstream on the straight, if you get within a second of the guys in front, you can really you can really pull you on. So I was trying to do that. I made a mistake. Uh, the wind was quite like it pushed me downhill turn seven. It's more downhill than it looks. I was a little bit slightly wide. Some little bumps down the outside if you're on a little bit wide and I just caught one of them bumps so that was a shame because I felt quite good like I said and uh, yeah it was uh, just my mistake and we obviously on, it didn't put us on the back foot for Sunday but obviously in the Super 4 race, Super 4 race you still have to start in your qualifying position anyway from the day before so that race was always going to be tough but yeah just a little that one pace frustration I was just pushing a little bit hard to catch that front group because I believed that I had the pace to be there What do you make of the format now Alex? Would you keep this format? I mean it's good and it's bad, isn't it? In the sense that that quad super pole does decide the grid for the first two. So if something goes wrong or you get a penalty, as you've just experienced, it can really mess up the weekend. James Whitten, for example, has suggested three sprint races, three 12 lappers or something like that. And each one decides the grid for the next one. So it shakes up the grids a bit. What do you reckon? Yeah, you know, I, I'm always open to any sort of change. I think it's uh, the sprint race is fun. It's 10 laps and, and just, in general, obviously, it's all a little bit closer. But, uh, yeah, you know, whenever they make a real change or the grid change, some people don't like it, some people aren't, but I think it works okay. I think that it obviously puts, because we're qualifying for two races in the qualifying, it puts a big emphasis on doing a good job because on the first couple of rows and get away at the start, it really makes a big difference. So, um, yeah, there's quite a lot of events on the, on the actual 15-minute qualifying session, but it's always been like that. Otherwise, there'd be no point having the qualifying. So it's nice to have a little bit of pressure there to do a good job. And yeah, I, I like the long races because I think there becomes a little bit more time management and, and stuff like that into it. But like I say, for the television side of it, for the fan side, the sprint races are always a little bit closer and a little bit more action. So that's the way it goes. And I wouldn't mind either. So I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll ride anyway and whatever they tell me to do. Yeah, I suppose it's just getting the best out of the circumstances you have, isn't it? In terms of tyres then, let's talk about that yeah. because it was quite interesting at Estra. We saw you and Jonathan and Luca Myers, who's also on a Kawasaki, using the SC0. Everybody else has started using the SCX tyre now, even in the long races. Why is it then that you guys can make the zero last or does it suit the bike better? Or, you know, what is it? Why can that be used? For me personally, I think the last race in Estra was a mistake not, not to use the X. 
I think the reason why we use the X is uh, use a zero, which is a harder tyre, is because we was quite we was fast enough to be competitive. Obviously, Johnny won the race, but how he rides, how he lifts the bike off the edge, is quite good for that tyre. But the, the facts are, if you make the X last, you're going to be faster on the X. But last year there were some races where it was completely the opposite. I know Harak, for example, I was the only rider on the X, and all the other guys was on the zero. So um, I think that because we felt quite good in the practices. The actual temperature for the second race was a lot hotter than we had all weekend. And the, for me, in that last race, I wasn't too comfortable with the bike. The difference to Johnny was a little bit more. And I, I had a lot of lot of difficulties getting into the corner, especially on the edge of the tires as I tried to put the bike down, coming from the rear. So I think it just went past the window a bit. But it's hard to say that when, when Johnny won the race and he's on the zero. So um, he managed it better. But I think that it's good that both tyres now are lasting quite well and you can use you can you can either use the X if you make it last or you can use the zero and try and get some more performance out of the bike to, to give you a good lap time. So yeah, it was a it was a strange one because temperatures obviously affect the tire life and the tire performance quite a lot. I mean that's the real for that Sunday afternoon the temperature jumped right up. So it's something you really have to be aware about. Why is it, Alex, now that people can make the X last and they couldn't last year, is it just because they've had more time to test it, sort the setup out? Because last year we were hearing all the time, weren't we, from people like Reading, that it was only the lighter, smaller riders who could use that tyre. Yeah, it sort of ruined his complaint, hasn't it? Because he didn't want the, he wanted the X tyre banned at the start of the year. <laughs> he now, did, yeah. The second race, he was, he was with more grip than Johnny, and he's the one that made a mistake. So that complaint don't really work anymore because he made it last and Johnny didn't believe he could. So. I think it's purely down to set up rider management. Obviously, with Scott compared to, let's say, Alvaro Bautista, Scott's always going to struggle more for tyre lives, which I understand where he's coming from in terms of his, 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 his weight, something he obviously he can't do much about. So there is, there is an element of that. I don't believe it's, uh, I don't believe it's something that, that is a reason why he's not beating Johnny or I'm not beating Johnny or they're beating me. It's, it's a case of, You've got to commit to your tyre, get your setup working for that tyre that you want to use. And I think both options are, are definitely uh, viable. And some weekends they're not going to be, some weekends they are. And I guess that's part of, that's, that's quite nice. It's part of the challenge of the guys working with the team to get the most out of whichever option they decide to go down. So that comes back to what we've said so many times before. Is it just that everyone else needs to do in a way what Johnny's been doing? Stay with the same team, stay with the same crew chief and get some consistency going like you are now doing, Scott's doing, Toprak's doing. Yeah, it does help because it's so close now in, in World Superbike. I know people always say that, but, but it is closer than it has been in the past. So it's uh, There's a lot of good riders, a lot of good bikes. There's new manufacturers coming in that are pushing and, and starting to improve, but then they're showing how difficult it is as well. And I think with Johnny, they've just got somebody that understands the bike very well, rides it very well, doesn't make any mistakes. So he doesn't give many people much of a, an open door to, to capitalise. And, uh, yeah, just with the experience they've got in these short weekends, because for having a race on Saturday, the weekends are shorter. No matter what anyone says, I know last year, being on the bike for the first time, turning up at tracks for the first time with the bike, then having to race the next day after just a couple of sessions, it's hard then to go and, and, and try to beat Johnny, who's on the second lap, is already on more or less like record pace. So it's, yeah, having that continuity does help a lot. So I think it's more down to him getting the most out of his package with a team that really understand it, which makes him hard to beat. The final question, Alex. Is it fair to say that, in a way, some of these rules that have been brought in to close up the championship and almost make it more difficult for Jonathan, the man who's been dominating, have they actually almost made it easier for him racing so soon 
and having a sprint race where you can pull away easier, stuff like that. You know what? I um, it's never easy, is it? It's never easy. It's never easy to win a race. It's never easy to win another race. It's never easy to win a championship. It's even harder to win another championship. So if you won six years in a row, you sort of get the impression that you can't really sit here and moan about the the, the weekend schedule, the the rules. The yeah, when he jumped on the car, it's like he maybe it was more competitive bike than uh, you know better than the other bikes. I don't think that's probably the case now. I think we showed you about Easter how he can manage when he can't win. So I think that it's more a case of he does everything really well. And it's a case of us, the writers, me, um, Scott and Tara and the guys, is to improve ourselves, improve our, our riding and beat him. I, I, I've thought that approach a lot this winter. I can see what he's doing. I can see where I'm doing it better than him. I can accept that he's doing a really good job and, and I'm getting closer and closer to him all the time. And I am. That, that's a lot of sessions, all the sessions. I'm not too far behind. I'm starting to push him now. I can ride in all conditions on the bike. And, and it's going to be, I think it's going to be a really good year. I think it's down to us to improve. You can't blame anything else. He's just doing a good job and you have to respect that. But Alex, you've always been really, really honest and that's what we love about it. Keep pushing and let's see what Mizano brings. Uh, decent trap for you, isn't it, Mizano? Yeah, I can't wait. Honestly, I can't wait for these next 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 three rounds. We've got Mizano, Donington, Aston. Great tracks. Estoril was a tough one for me and I, I still felt like without that penalty, I'd have been really competitive and yeah. I'm looking forward to, to getting to Italy next week and, and getting involved. It's going to be great. Can't wait. Good luck with that, Alex, and we'll be looking out for you. Thanks, mate. Take it easy and we'll speak soon. Thanks a lot. Great to hear Alex Lowe's there sounding as motivated and as honest as ever. Former BSB champion as well, of course. So we move on now to a new, quick, but entertaining, I hope, feature for the Full Throttle podcast, Magic Moments. And here's one from our colleague and fellow Eurosport commentator, Barry Nutley. My little anecdote goes back pre-Eurosport days, uh, to days of the BBC, in fact, working for Grandstand and alongside the one and only Murray Walker, who we we lost, sadly, so very recently. In those days, the BBC was across all types of motorcycle sport, trials, motocross, grass track racing, road racing. They did a bit of everything where they could dip in and out. And I was lucky enough to be involved in that. And I was down in Kent at a boarded oval circuit at Collier's Wood or Collier Street. Collier Street, I think. And those who follow grass track racing will remember that. Murray Walker was alongside me as lead commentator, obviously, going for it in the solo final. It started to rain and it rained heavily. And the floor manager, sadly I can't remember his name, rushed outside, got some bin liners and pinned them all up across the ceiling of this wooden shed, which is what it was. That was a commentary box. Such was the luxury of BBC Grandstand. About a minute into the race, the bin liners were full and the one over Murray was a particularly big one. It filled up with water, the drawing pins let go and it emptied its contents all over Murray Walker, who irrepressibly just kept on going as though nothing was happening at all. Such uh, is a mark of the man. Well, that was a Murray Walker moment I've actually not heard before, and I've heard most of them. So thank you very much for that particularly amusing anecdote there about the late, great, legendary Murray Walker. Thank you very much for that one, Bazza, our fellow commentator at Eurosport. And we'll be hearing soon, of course, from Barry live on air as we get together for the British sidecar commentary, the first one of which is at the first meeting of the year for British Superbikes at Alton Park 
at the end of this month. Okay, let's move on to our next World Superbike rider now, Eugene Laverty, to discuss the latest from the BMW point of view. Well, Eugene, as we all confidently predicted, the BMW has been a real pleasant surprise for everybody at the start of this season. Yeah, so far so good, I have to say. I had a delayed start with things, but uh, the moment I rode the, the M1000RR for the first time really was uh, round one. Uh, on the Friday, I thought, oh, well, this is a, a good step forward. So uh, I had tested essentially last year's bike, you would say, almost with uh, with wings uh, a couple of weeks previous. So, yeah, it was nice then to, to hop on uh, this year's bike and and see firsthand the, the big step forward that, that made it be a BMW motorrad. So I'm very pleased with the progress because the first two rounds were the two toughest tracks in the calendar for us and uh, we did there or thereabouts. Yes, it was a good early birthday present for last week, by the way. So happy 35th to you. And we should also say happy 40th to Michael Laverty for today when this podcast goes out. 40 on Monday. So life begins at 40, doesn't it? Well, that's what they say. I've got five years left. of uh, yeah, kidding myself. I'm still a kid for a while yet. Yeah. But um, yeah, Michael and I are, are both Gemini. And yeah, I... Uh, I had a nice little birthday. I went out in Euro riding and uh, and after and had some beers. So I did, really. Just before we get properly into the interview, we should also say congratulations to your wife, Pippa, who's now a member of the FIM. Uh, that's nice, isn't it, to see a, a new member of the FIM and a new responsibility. That's going to keep her very busy, I would think. It is great. Um, she's been working hard behind the scenes on things, so it's nice to see her being rewarded for her efforts. And I think she'll be great in that role. You know, um, she's a... I always joke that I'm I'm Pippa's plus one when we go to events because uh, <laughs> I'm better with the visor down just riding my motorbike, whereas uh, everybody knows Pippa. When we lived in Monaco, she was a sociable one, but everybody together. So I think she'll be great for for women in motorsport in her her role. You know, that's uh, that's what we need to think. People like Pippa can can bring them together, and they are still a minority in our sports. So uh, bringing riders to the fore, mechanics, crew chiefs, even telemetrists and such, we're seeing it more and more in recent years. So. Looking forward to seeing uh, how things develop in the coming years. Yeah, for anybody who doesn't know Pippa, by the way, listening to this, she's certainly very organised. It's Pippa who sends out all of Eugene's media information and all that sort of thing. So it, it must be nice for you, in a way, to have someone dealing with all that at the circuit who's so close to you and just allow you to focus on your job. It is great. Uh, I, I don't uh, you know, like to take my focus away from the racing too much because it is a short weekend and you really need to focus 100% on it. I always see when uh, there are some other riders, especially younger riders, tossing around wheelie in their scooter and whatnot. I think, I've got the time to do that because we are constantly, we're not riding, we have to be uh, working with the engineers and how to make the bike better. So on that side of things, Pippa takes care, care of all the social media and uh, yeah, make sure everybody's up to date because uh, otherwise, yeah, I would forget. Yeah, so busy times for the Laverty family. So again, happy birthday to you, Eugene, for last week, 35. Happy birthday to Michael today, 40. And uh, congratulations to Pippa on the new FIM role. Watch out for Pippa Laverty in the white FIM shirt in a paddock near you. But going right back, Eugene, to your tenure with uh, RC Squadra Corsa, which, of course, is the team that used to run the MV Augustas of Leon Camia and Jordi Torres and the Supersport bikes as well. I have to say... I genuinely thought you weren't going to make the grid this year at one point because it seemed like from the headlines we were reading in the German press, the team didn't have any money. There's no funding. They won't be on the grid. Poor Eugene's out of a ride again. So you must have been relieved that you were even on the grid at Aragon. 
well, to, to line up for the first round was always the priority. We we missed the first few tests, and it was worrying because there was some delays uh, with material. But uh, I was confident it was going to go ahead because uh, I had seen photos of, of a lot of the equipment and everything um, being produced. So we were fortunate that the season was later than usual because, uh, obviously, the first round would usually be down under in February, and that would have been uh, quite early for us being a, a new team. Uh, there's a lot to be put in place. So we're still, I'd say, Mizano is where my season starts. These first two rounds were like pre-season testing, so it was just an added bonus that we uh, were actually relatively strong. But um, I'm going to this third round really excited to, to start my season proper. Now, I guess part of that is to do with the brakes, is it? As far as I'm aware, you've been on Nissan brakes like the other BMWs, but an older spec of those Nissans. And now you're going to be on the Brembo brakes, which are... I don't know whether it's fair to say they're better, but there's certainly more people using them in the paddock, aren't there? Um, so is that the big reason it should get much better this weekend, or is there something else? Well, uh, it will be my 2021 bike uh, in the full capacity, really, because there there was lots of ends that, that they weren't quite um, yeah ready for the first round. So this will be me on uh, on my bike properly as it is to be, and I'm excited. You know, we've we've done a a great job in the limited time we've we've had. Uh, my, my crew chief, Paolo Piazza, has been fantastic. He's very old school. And uh, we have just been going off of my my feelings and my feedback because we're, we're still waiting on uh, a lot of stuff in terms of uh, chassis programs and whatnot. So it's been great just actually to, to take it back that way. And sometimes in our sport, we often nowadays get a little bit too much fixated on the computer and Last year, I felt there was a lot of times that uh, I would want a certain direction, but the, the computer would say no, and uh, I didn't like that. Whereas now, Palo is taking it old school, and uh, some of the setting changes we've made that have worked, and uh, I know with the other BMW guys have followed. Um, yeah, I think sometimes the riders' feedback is the most important thing because we are, are not car drivers at the end of the day. The car driver is a fixed mass in the car that cannot be moved, so the computer really is definitive but for us the rider moves around a lot and uh, that changes the the weight balance of the bike so these lines in the computer screen they don't tell the full story i think um i know one great story from uh, an old rider in the paddock that's now working with one of the factory teams as um, a team manager he always uh, would refer to the computer and say yeah show me where's the line for the feeling well you know show me on that computer where's the rider's feeling because it's not there and so that's what you always have to remember. Yeah, I think a lot of engineers seem to be guilty of not remembering there is a human being on that bike, as you just said, aren't there? With with feelings as well. It's not just feeling for the bike, but emotions. Well, that's um, not just for the riders, but I think all across the board. Uh, I always say this uh, in, in racing, you have to remember that it's, while there is business, it's also part sport. And with sports, there comes uh, a lot more to it, emotions, the, the danger, everything else. This isn't just business, so you have to take on the human aspect. And yeah, I've, uh, I've seen over the years that a lot of people forget that. Yeah, well, it's it's nice you've got an old school crew chief then for that reason. And what about BMW itself, Eugene? How, you know, just how good is this bike now? We, we know we've got the BMW M on a bike for the first time, many cars, but first time we've seen the legendary M letter on a bike. But just how serious are BMW? Because the cynics say, oh, it's BMW. It's the same thing as always. A lot of talk and not much actual performance. But you almost get the feeling this year, if any, it feels a bit different. It does feel as though this project's going somewhere. 
definitely BMW Motorrad. They've committed to this project and really want to be us up there at the sharp end. That's why they've doubled the number of riders in the grid. And uh, we've, we've already begun to reap the rewards of that. So I'm very happy with the work they've done. And I wasn't there in year one, but it was clear that the step wasn't made uh, forward. Year two, but definitely for, for year three of the project, it's made a huge step forward. And um, yeah, big thanks as well to, to Marcus Eschenbacher. Uh, he came on board together with me as my crew chief, and he's, he's now stayed on with uh, Mickey van der Mark as his crew chief, but he's done a lot of work um, to help move the project forward as well. So I have a lot of trust in, uh, in his ability. Um, but now this this uh, bike is, is plenty capable. Now it's just um, a matter of getting the circuit that is going to suit us a little bit more. The other weak point is trying to stop the bike. You know, that uh, is not just going to disappear overnight. We still have to improve that. And Estoril had four to five first gear corners, so that was that was tough for us. So I'm looking forward to to Mizano, a lot of the track, um, fast low and corners. So um, see what we can manage there. And is stopping the bike not going to be even more of a problem, Norge, as we get into the European summer? You know, places like Assen, Most, and the Czech Republic, Navarra in August. That is going to be hot, isn't it? And that surely is going to be even more of an issue then. No, honestly, it's a real slow. Uh, first gear corners where you really have to to stop the bike and, and do a 180 that, that does hurt us so right. I'm looking forward to something like Aston Aston's very fluid okay we've got a few little uh, tight corners here and there but the majority of the track uh, has a flow in nature so yeah I'd love to go to Phillip Island again this year but that's unfortunately yeah. not on the cards because uh, something like that is built for it but I'm enjoying working on improving the, the weak aspects of the bike and that's why yeah uh, enjoy being part of a project like this because you, you have to prioritize and and uh, that's the only way to to develop to move things forward and uh, that's my priority right now just keep working on those weak points but now bmw have been fantastic with us and it's clear that there is four riders uh, involved in the project now it's not just the factory team and that we're there on the side we are involved and we're on uh, the same equipment so um let's see we can be the first bmw rider to get up there in the podium um i think we're all we're all uh four strong riders that have all uh, won world championship level. So, um, yeah, I think we're in a good place. Well, to be fair, I think people do forget that, don't they? They forget you were the championship runner-up to Tom Sykes and were challenging for the title into the last round. And the fact you've won 13 races and four poles, 35 podiums, it's so easy to forget that some of the riders who appear to be in the midfield at the moment or the bottom half of the top 10, you know, you are all race winners and multiple race winners in some cases. The level of the championship has very much gone up, hasn't it, in the last two or three years? Yeah, the the rider level is is an all time high. I want to wake up somebody like Johnny Ray to aim at. Um, Johnny's record speaks for itself, and there's a lot of young riders coming through, the likes of Bob Rack and Garrett Gerloff. You know, have a, a lot of admiration for the way those guys ride. So I enjoy riding against um, a strong lineup like that because you you really want to to be challenged, don't you? So you want to to look at these guys and think, well, you know. He's riding pretty impressive because then the day you beat them, then you know, wow, I, I rode pretty impressive there too. It must have been good though for you, Eugene, at Estoril uh, a couple of weekends ago. You know, you were actually up there racing with Jonathan Ray at one point and people like that. And it had been a while for you, in, you know, since you were last able to do that. It has been. Um, not, you know, the, the downside of our sport, as I always say, motorsports, that the rider is only part of the equation. If the, the bike machinery team, everything is up to scratch, then you're, you're not going to be there. But you have to keep your your head down and keep working towards it in the hope that um, yeah, all the pieces of the puzzle come together. And I feel like this is the first time in a, in a few years where I've 
a flat package underneath me where I can look again towards the podium. So I'm excited for, for what lies ahead. Um, just got to keep plugging away and not get ahead of myself. But, you know, whenever I started, I, I qualified in Super Bowl 8th position and then this uh, daft rule that's in at the moment with the, the yellow flag, um, losing us five positions in the grid because somebody ran off track and had a yellow flag. So I ended up starting from 13th position, but then found myself on lap one, I think already in eighth position. And to me, that's a big sign that the bike's a lot better because last year I wasn't able to maneuver the bike around people. Um, the bike wasn't agile. I didn't feel safe to ride around other guys because they could put their bikes in places where I couldn't even imagine they could stop it on the spot. Whereas in all three races, I made progress in the first lap and that shows confidence that I'm able to do what I need with the bike. Yeah, so it is that word, confidence again, isn't it? It does feel as though you've got confidence now to actually do what you want to be able to do with the bike. And as you said, it's still not even what we've seen so far. It hasn't been your proper bike for this year. So, I mean, when was the last time you actually remember feeling this confident with your motorcycle? Uh, I'd say it's at the start of 2019, um, just at Oregon, mainly, unfortunately. There's only really one ride before then I get injured and the rest of the, the season was a bit um, rubbish after that. But yeah. Um, so that, that was the Go 11 Ducati, wasn't it? Then, yeah, yeah, we were we were strong uh, right then. I thought, well, this is this is um, a package that I could do something with. But yeah, you know how racing can be. Um, it's a cruel sport at times. But well, it has been some years since um, really I was there week in week out, and it's too long. <laughs> it's too, too many years, so I don't like to to make excuses. Um, I wasn't strong enough those years, whereas I think now I'm. Uh, riding better than I ever have done and I'm going to try and make the most of, of this opportunity that I have because last year uh, because the bike wasn't quite there uh, I'm not a rider that can you know go on above and beyond with the bike and you know Tom uh, is very good at that as we can see in, a, in Super Polo especially Tom can uh, drag a bike around he's, he's got incredible talent to, to do that but for me I knew that I needed to have continuity in order to move forward I've always been better in the second year in the bike so thankful that BMW Motorrad gives me that chance to, to show what I can do and I think uh, they've been pleasantly surprised already to see just how much of a step forward I've made but that's the kind of rider I am and um, that's why I'm always pushing to, to try and get these two-year contracts fixed in. I think manufacturers and team bosses at the time think that oh, a rider just wants that for the paycheck or just to feel secure and then you know rest on their laurels but that's not the case for me. I've always been stronger in my second year be it with Park Algar Honda my second year. I won nine out of the 13 races. First year of the April year 2012, I finished like sixth in the championship and then the next year, parts of the title. Um, and that's the reason whenever I went to MotoGP, I signed a two-year contract. Fortunately, I changed my team change manufacturer between those years, so I didn't really have that continuity as such. But I always want um, a second year to, um, to yeah to, to give my chance, myself a chance to, to move forward. I'm not somebody that could just arrive and uh, be at home on a bike first time yeah i can see completely what you mean because if that is in the back of your mind it's just an added pressure for everybody else and surely another distraction isn't it whereas if you've got a two-year deal you can just forget about that and focus on the job in hand yeah and and do the real work that needs done rather than you know just trying to run as fast as you can to the next post uh, that was my mentality last year was that it was a, a two-year deal and yeah unfortunately some of the decisions that were made we found ourselves in a place where uh, me and my teammate were put against each other and we ended up not moving the project forward because we were just um, fighting for a job. And that, that shows that that's not the way to, to go forward. You have to um, think about the long game 
And yeah, that's how racing is. It's hard to. Everybody's different. You know, there are some riders that, that can do that, but I'm I'm certainly not one of them. I think I I need to feel uh, comfortable with my bike, and uh, I definitely am. What do you think that was based on in the end, Eugene? Because that was the famous story or the infamous story of you and Tom finding out about Michael van der Mark being signed, wasn't it? And you were at an event with BMW in Germany and sort of read it on Twitter and, you know, with the press release going out just as everybody else did. Do you feel they just kept Tom because he is a world champion or because he'd simply had another year with the team, so they kept him for that reason? Well, uh, the results spoke for themselves. Tom was uh, beat me last year. And that's what it comes down to. You know, you can't ignore that. And, uh, that's why I said to Tom, well done on, on the seat. You know, you're, you've been faster than me, so um, you deserve it. But um, yeah, the main thing for me was then to, to get the, well, what is the third seat? You know, be it in a, in a satellite team, but having uh, the same package underneath me um, so that I can move forward. And yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't an easy year last year because the bike wasn't easy to ride in the beginning, but um, I knuckled down with the guys and, we really made steps forward with the bike first to make it rideable. You know, that was the, the key thing. But by that stage, that I had lost my job before we were even able to make the thing rideable. So we almost had to step backwards to go forwards. But um, we're seeing now that the, the bike is, is much more rider friendly. It is interesting. I'm not saying too many cooks spoil the broth in some of these factory teams, but it does seem quite intriguing looking at you with your team and Chas Davis with a private team. It does seem sometimes as though having a smaller knit team like that with a good crew chief and a good rider and a good bike it's actually being proven that it can work quite successfully well i think we're seeing in words that we like right now we're in a great place um what did he did at first where you started to see the, the satellite teams like Pramac um up there with the official factory team you think well hang on you know the team yeah. is capable the rider is capable um before in the past we always saw the the pecking order and we were so used to it that only factory teams were winning and then MotoGP, that was quite boring for years because if you weren't on one of those seats, you weren't going to win. And like Formula One, that's where Formula One is right now, whereas MotoGP changed that. And, uh, you know, we see these satellite teams able to fight for titles. And uh, World Tour Bike had it that way now too. I think really it was when Top Rack won in the Kawasaki a couple of years ago that uh, started the ball rolling. And now we see Gerloff last year and on Yamaha as well. And Michael Rinaldi winning on the, the Goal 11 bike. So, yeah, um, I think Scott Smart doesn't get enough credit for what he's done for a championship on a technical level. You know, they've changed the regulations a little bit, so our satellite teams and everybody else they have the same equipment. So I think we're we're in a great place, and there is a, a great lineup of riders, definitely. But the key thing is the party and machinery. Yes, and for anyone listening who's not aware of that, that's a rule that came in a few years back now, stating that all of the smaller customer teams. Uh, are obliged to be able to, or sorry, the the reference teams, the factory teams, are obliged to have enough parts available for all of the smaller teams to buy before running it on their bike. Now, whether the smaller teams have enough budget to buy them is another matter. But as you say, Eugene, it's working, isn't it? And we've got a brilliant mix now of people fighting for podiums and top fives and hopefully even wins as the season goes on. Just quickly then, before we sign off, just a quick uh, couple of quick fire questions about the BMW. And then we will go back to that yellow flag thing because it's interesting to get your opinion on that, having just heard from Alex as well. 2019, we remember Tom and yourself, uh, sorry, no, Tom and Reiterberger at the time were basically running with a stock engine, weren't they? Because the reliability, as soon as they souped it up, as it were, it was blowing engines up and Peter Hickman ran a stock bike at the TT. 
is the is the new engine much much better now this year and more reliable as well well i think uh, the big step forward has been the engine honestly and i've learned a lot about just how much the engine can can affect the bike uh everybody thinks about the engine as in the speed traps and and even just corner exit you know the we, we all know that if the engine is linear how it can make the bike spin and cause other issues but yeah the, this this engine has been a big step forward just to give me that natural feeling of the bike how the bike transfers how the bike stops as well so you know when that was a fundamental that wasn't really correct for racing last year and uh yeah the big step forward for me has been that engine that whenever you adjust your yeah, your gas position that the bike reacts accordingly and yeah been i'm 35 but i'm still learning about how a motorbike works and i think did i hear you say in one interview in Estoril that um engine braking is much better now and is that or just engine is it the shift cam system or is that electronics or is it a combination of all these things uh it is the engine itself there's been some some changes with it um like i say i got like marcus eschenbacher um tell you a lot more about it than i could but uh he's got a great understanding for for what the rider needs fitting wise and yeah the first time i i had the engine in properly in round one i thought hmm, okay now, now this is more correct so i think there's been some other uh, changes like the swing arm has been a, a good benefit as well um some other little bits in the chassis here and there the winglets sure to help willie but uh if the engine isn't correct then it's such a big piece of the puzzle isn't it so yeah, yeah finally for me it's it's right this year and that's why i feel that uh, we're going to move forward from here. Um, last year, it didn't matter what you did. If you didn't have the natural feeling of the bike, you didn't have that confidence, whereas now I do. I think Sean Muir even said, certainly with the factory team, they've even got a new supplier of wheels this year. Have you got those new wheels as well? And does, does that make much difference? Uh, I think that's the two things we're using different is wheels and brakes. Right, so I'm right. not sure yeah, how, how they differ exactly. But yeah, there's been, been search in every little area to try and improve uh, here and there, like I say, because you have to. Um, you see the other manufacturers, they, they never stand still. But um, no, the, you guys at BMW, they delayed testing uh, more than the other manufacturers, and uh, it did pay off because uh, when they came out, uh, came out swinging. One more quick thing about the bike, usually, and then we'll discuss this yellow flag situation. You have a different ECU as well, don't you? I remember when 10 Carter and Honda Motor Europe used to run the Honda, um, they had a different ECU with a Cosworth ECU at the time. Now, most of the paddock, if not all the paddock, is Magneti Marilli. Although you guys have a Bosch system, don't you, with BMW's own software. What are the advantages of that? Well, it's uh, they've always ran on, on the bike is the Bosch system. And I'd say at the beginning of last year, um, that was where we made the, the biggest strides forward. Um, Sander Dunkers was a, a key part of that. Uh, he'd come across from, from MotoGP as well and we made huge strides forward. I was really impressed with how he simplified things and the functionality of it. He, he understood how to adjust things so that we could change it during the session because that's the key, isn't it? When a rider comes in, you need to be able to, to change things quickly. So, yeah, it's uh, yeah, every package is different, but now this, this Bosch system is working very well for us. Yeah, that's really good to hear. Then it is great to see such a mix of different manufacturers. You can tell BMW is making progress, Honda's coming as well, which I think is great to mix it up with Kawasaki, Yamaha, and, of course, the Ducati. Okay, so the yellow flag thing, just before we sign off, Eugene, uh, we just heard from Alex, his opinion, saying that he would just take out qualifying tyres altogether and remove that variable. As we record this, it sounds like it's either going to be no qualifying tyres, or I think more likely, 
two qualifying tyres for each rider from this weekend onwards. What do you make of that suggestion? And what do you make of what actually happened at Estoril last Saturday? Well, what happened we knew was going to occur. And that's something that we all discuss whenever this role was brought in because in our championship, we have a one-lap tyre for qualifying. So you can't possibly have a rule that um, the yellow flag is out. The rider loses that lap because it's your only lap. And the next lap, maybe a second slower. And Alex, I think he was penalised more than most of us from the front row back to like 10th position. Yeah, so yeah. we knew this was going to happen. And uh, yeah, in my opinion, it should have been adjusted before it became a problem. We uh, we waited too long and uh, it happened already at, turn, at round two. But uh, um, the important thing is it is going to be changed from what I understand. I like the idea of, of two qualifying tyres. I think from a rider perspective, I was prepared that the... They don't have the qualifier and fire just to, um, to get rid of it. But I understand the, there's the need for the show and the entertainment. Um, we we are there to, to be entertainers after all. So I think the idea of two qualifying tires is, is a great suggestion. So we could see even faster lap times. The main thing is that, okay, you're probably going to go faster in your second qualifier. But even if you do come across the yellow flag then, at least you have the backup of the first um lap that you did on the on the other qualifier that yeah. should be within a few tenths of a second. So I think that's a good suggestion and uh, pleases everybody. It just proves how important it is to get a good banker lap in initially as well, doesn't it? But will this be surely top of the agenda when the Rider Safety Commission meeting happens at Mizano on Thursday? Well, I would hope that um, it will already be in place by then. The Riders Safety Committee meeting happens on Friday evening. So I hope that this is something I'm I'm hoping to hear from soon because we can't uh, we can't go into Saturday with this rule still hanging over our heads because otherwise you could end up seeing riders uh, going out right away with the qualifying tire. But yeah, who's to say if you do go out right away with your qualifying tire, then you may still end up with, with an issue. But um, I think we do need to change this as soon as possible. Just one more question for me, Eugene, which you may or may not be able to answer, <laughs> but I've got to have to ask it because I'm wondering. Why did they bring the rule in in the first place? Is it simply because they do it like this in MotoGP, so we have to do it the same? Or did they just over oversee the fact that we're on qualifying tyres and didn't think about it? You know, Did the riders speak out about this before it was introduced? Yeah, from what I understand, it is that they want the rules to be the same all across the board, which does make sense. Yeah. And every FIM championship to have the same rules, because otherwise it is confusing, isn't it? Like we saw in Suzuka a few years ago with the rule having been changed about the... Uh, crashing after the red, the red flag, flag whatever it was yeah a lot of the, the confusion so we, we do need to, um, to have the same rules across the championship but it was something that was overlooked uh, i believe because of us having the qualifying tire so yeah the moment the riders were informed about it on uh, the thursday of aragon in the riders briefing we all uh kicked up a fuss and uh we were all um everybody was putting their hand up and saying no this isn't going to work we need to sort this out right now and unfortunately it wasn't and I suppose, as Alex said before as well, it's it's also because it wasn't like there was a rider down being assisted by the marshals. Tita Rabat was off the track and about to rejoin the track and completely out of harm's way, wasn't he? Yeah, and um, that's that's it. Um, I didn't even see the yellow flag, I have to be honest. Um, I'm usually looking out for them, but uh, I didn't even bother chasing it up. I just thought, hey, I'll just leave it there because it may have been a case that the yellow flag just came out after I had passed it. But let's say, if, you know, if you had a... I still shot and so showed the yellow flag beside me. Uh, that's maybe enough to be incriminating. But uh, for me, I don't think the yellow flag was ever out directly in front of me. So it is a bit daft. But um, the point that I raised, and I was honest about it because I think 
often riders aren't honest enough in fear that they're going to be um, called out on it. I said, I've got one lap tire here and I see a yellow flag. I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to slow down. Okay, if I see something that looks like it is serious, that that's going to be different. But you see a yellow flag, you have to keep it pinned. Otherwise, you're not a racer anymore. And so like the old Art and Senna phrase, the, the moment you no longer go for a gap, you're no longer a racer. And I think that's the same. And for me, if this rule was brought in for safety, and the fact is that we see it in MotoGP as well, that none of us are slowing down for it, because when you're on a lap, you have to keep going, unfortunately. You know, ideally, maybe people are going to look at that and think, oh, that's irresponsible. But we are racers, and we're on that one lap. We have to keep it going, because um, that is our job. So for me, as a safety aspect, it's not working because all we're seeing is it ruining the show. So you get Peco Banyaya taking pole at Portugal and then losing his lap just because um, he passed through a yellow flag. But he didn't slow down and he's not going to because he's a racer. So it's not serving any purpose, in my opinion. One final question, Eugene, which has just occurred to me. You've now been a world superbike rider. Well, it's 10 years since you were first a world superbike rider. You haven't been one for 10 years because you went off to MotoGP, of course, for a couple and came back again. But, you know, it's 10 years since you've been a World Superbike rider, uh, 13 or so now since you've been in this paddock with World Supersport. I'm just keen to know, how's the atmosphere now um, amongst the riders in general in the commission meetings and things like that? Is there a good rapport or is there quite a lot of tension and needle between certain people? What's it like at the moment? I think there is a, a good rapport there. Um, there always is, to be honest. Mm, that's good. Uh, in Superbike, whenever, whenever I first went there, there was the old guard, the likes of Carlos Checa that uh, we had a lot of respect for and and then the young kids as we were coming through and now we're the old guard and there's some some younger guys coming through so we're all racers and we've we've got respect for each other there's always the odd one that, that you're you're not going to pull with but i think that's the same even if you're working in an office job it doesn't mean you have to go and hang out with the guy <laughs> that's and have a so true. yeah yeah, yeah. But the, the main thing is to, to have the respect um yeah i think <laughs> the only one i can think of right now is with garrett gerloff i think he needs to rein in a little bit and that's again something that I pointed out after Magni Gar. This is my concern. I, I really like the the guy and as a racer I think he's he's fantastic. I really like the way he rides. But the worrying thing for me in Magni Gore was that whenever he took Tom and I out and whenever he came to see me in the paddock, I was waiting for the apology but he didn't. He came to tell me how he hadn't done anything wrong and that was worrying for me. Not because I was the one an apology, but the worrying point was hmm, this this guy hasn't learned his lesson. And when a guy doesn't realize he's done wrong, what happens? They make the same mistake again. And we've seen it twice now. And yeah, that's that's something that I want to, to see addressed is that, you know, a guy needs to be reprimanded um, for his actions. Otherwise, you don't learn. Yeah, well, sure enough, for anybody listening who doesn't know, Garrett Gerloff has been given a pit lane start, actually, for the first race at Mizano on Saturday as a result of the latest clash, which was with Michael Rinaldi. But yeah, I, th I think I agree with you, Eugene. It's um, oh, did you not know either? Sorry, I thought you would know that. Um, no, I, yeah, no, I, did, I didn't realize that. But that's that's good to hear. That, that's yeah. just what it needs. Just uh, as a little, so it's in the back of uh, the writer's yeah, head. So, yeah, You know, Garrett, Garrett's smart enough. I think uh, from now on, I think he'll cool his jets a little bit. Yeah, and obviously, as we stressed in the commentary, actually, with James Whittam last weekend, he's not doing it on purpose, is he? But I suppose you just need a, a warning, don't you? To, you know to have some sort of penalty like this before you end up hurting yourself or somebody else or both. Yeah, and no, it's, it's about accountability. I think you've got to remember that um, Garrett's still a young guy, isn't he? Mid-20s. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I remember, you know, as I get older, 
he becomes less of a dickhead, don't you? <laughs> and, uh, Hopefully, t- younger, touch wood, yeah. <laughs> yeah, whenever you're younger, you, you don't really have, you don't take accountability for your actions sometimes. And that's uh, clearly the, the stage in his life that he's at right now because uh, it was frustrating to listen to in an interview after the crash at Estero where he said that the data confirmed that he hadn't done anything wrong. I thought, again, that's data on a computer screen, that's lines. The only data that you should be looking at is the guy that you rammed from behind. That's the data that counts and you did do something wrong. So it's about accountability and uh, I think being punished for your actions is the only way to, to really take heed and uh, calm down. Yeah, I remember Unai Aradre saying that in uh, Barcelona last year when he wiped Tom Booth Amos out of the Supersport 300 race lead with a few corners to go and saying, well, I can break much later than you, but I guess the problem is if he's in front of you, you sort of need to factor that into the equation, don't you really? Exactly. That's just it. <laughs> it's not about, um, yeah, the guy being in your way. He's there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you you got to realise you can't ram them because uh, that's how crashes happen. It's a bit like on the road, actually, isn't it? Where the person behind is always the one who gets the blame for the accident, even if someone stalled at the lights or whatever. If you run into someone else, you're the one who's in trouble. Yep, that's life. <laughs> yeah. Well, Eugene, thanks very much for all of that. Good luck this weekend. It sounds like there's more to come with the BMW, and uh, I think it's going to be a good weekend of racing and quite close, maybe three different winners, do you reckon? Could it happen this weekend? Well, that would be nice, wouldn't it? That's what we're by great knees right now, because... Um... Donnie's so so tough to beat. He's uh he's a machine right now. So I'm focusing on my job to try and uh, get in that top six. And um, I, I don't know if we're quite ready for the podium yet, but I'll, I'll be giving it my all. Yeah, I'm, we'll I'd be absolutely delighted if you are, and good luck with it. And we'll be watching out for you. Thanks, Eugene. Cheers, Greg. So many thanks to Eugene Laverty and earlier to Alex Lowe's as well. This has been the Full Throttle Podcast. We will be back next week, Monday, the 14th of June. James Whittam and I will be in the commentary box recording that one after coming off air for Mizano World Superbikes. Races 7, 8 and 9. It's round 3 of the season and we will be bringing live coverage in your direction. Starting with Friday Free Practice 1 from 9.25am UK time live on Eurosport 2 and the Eurosport app. That's this Friday, the 11th of June, 9.25am. But from Full Throttle, that's all for this week. Hope you enjoyed the show. Greg Haynes with you. We'll be back then live on air with Mizano free practice 925 on Friday morning we'll see you then <laughs>